Hello and welcome to the Coach Me Vancouver podcast. We're recording live from downtown Vancouver. My name is Nadine Stille, founder of Coach Me Vancouver, and very happy you've tuned in for today's episode. You may remember me introducing our Coach Me podcast season two. I'd mentioned that in addition to our amazing featured Coach Me coaches, we'll also have guests on the show this season who are experts and topic enthusiasts on specific areas of personal and professional development that will support your growth journey even more. This is the first episode where we welcome a guest and I'm very pleased to have recorded an interview with David Corey about how to use emotional intelligence to become a better leader. David Corey is a leadership development trainer, consultant, and keynote speaker known for his expertise in applying the concept of emotional intelligence to individual and organizational performance improvement. David founded one of the first companies in North America to focus on the development of leadership based on emotional intelligence. The Emotional Intelligence Training Company celebrated its 20th anniversary in 2018 and certifies more people to use the EQI in North America than any other company. In the course of his work, David has been an invited guest of the Sultan of Brunei, worked under armed guard in Nigeria, been kicked out of a restricted area in Saudi Arabia, chased by an elephant in Zambia, and sang for royalty in Malaysia. David's company completed the design of an emotional intelligence skills development course for an entire nation. This was the first in the world. The course is currently being delivered through a train-the-trainer model to the citizens of Botswana. The World Economic Forum ranked emotional intelligence as one of the top 10 skills to have in the workplace for 2020. The first time emotional intelligence made it into the top 10 skills. With this also being one of my personal passion topics, I was excited to hear all about David's experience and expertise. Please check the podcast notes to get a list of the extensive resources David mentions in his interview. All client stories mentioned in this podcast have either been approved for use or been altered to not be identifiable. Hi, David. Hi, Nadine. <laughs> How are things today? Things are great. It's been a great day so far. Yeah, perfect. And um, we're ready to go talking all about emotional intelligence today. Looking forward to it. Oh, me too, <laughs> for sure. So why don't we start with um, your definition of emotional intelligence and what is EQ? How does sure, it all play together? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, if you Google emotional intelligence, you'll come up with dozens of definitions and it gets a bit frustrating for people. It's like, well, what is it really? And the very simple definition is that it's being intelligent about emotions, but that's usually not comprehensive enough for people. So it is about knowing and understanding how emotions affect our behavior. And it's really it's for someone to be emotionally intelligent, it's knowing about their own emotions and understanding how those emotions affect their behavior. And then it's, it's, paying attention to knowing and appreciating the emotions of others for better communication, better relationships, and, and overall just more effectiveness with life. 
Okay, great. Thank you. It says it in the name. It's being intelligent about emotions. I like that. <laughs> so emotional intelligence is short for EQ? We, yeah, or... yeah. Good question. And, and you know, we use the terms interchangeably. We, we talk about emotional intelligence and we talk about EQ. But technically speaking, EQ is a measure of how well or how poorly you use the emotional intelligence that you have. And so we have scientific ways of, of looking at that, much like we do, uh, we look at cognitive intelligence and we measure that using an intelligence quotient, which is just a score. We do the same thing with, with your emotional intelligence and we use the term EQ. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is something that you can get better at over time? Yes, it, it is something you can get better at over time. And there's two schools of thought there too. So mm -hmm. there's one school of thought. Actually, the, the, the two gentlemen who uh, coined the term emotional intelligence originally thought of it as uh, very similar to IQ, that you're, you're genetically predisposed to having a certain level of EQ, and it's probably not going to improve. You know, that's the way they looked at it, and that's their theoretical model. But but I like the one that is a, that is kind of a model of emotional skills, emotional intelligence skills, all of which can be improved. That's mm -hmm. the one that we use in our work. Okay. But both of them come from the point of view that everyone already has a certain amount of Yes, if you, if you think about it, we all develop emotional intelligence in spite of ourselves. As infants, we are either comfortable or uncomfortable. We scream and cry when we're uncomfortable. That's, our, that's emotional expression that brings uh, someone to come to our aid and to our support and take care of whatever's making us uncomfortable. And we have a relationship with that person. And so we, we learn those things in spite of ourselves. And then we don't necessarily have a systematic way of developing that in our public school systems. And so mm -hmm. people grow up learning all different kinds of ways of coping with mm -hmm. their environment. Some people are really good at impacting on others in a positive way. And other people are really, don't, they don't pay any attention. They're maybe more concerned with their own needs. And so they come across roughly and they don't know how to connect well and mm. that sort of thing. Yeah, Everybody has some emotional intelligence and I, you know, despite the comments that I hear from people who say, my boss has no emotional intelligence, they actually have some because they're alive and surviving in this world. It's just uh, whether they are aware of how well or how poorly they do with these mm -hmm. skills and then whether they've taken any steps to improve. It all starts with awareness. Yes, it does. Right. Yes. Um, I've actually read an article a while back about calls for emotional intelligence to be part of the, the school system, right? It's like the soft skills. You get out of school and then you're expected to go into either a university or a job and and be that emotionally intelligent leader or whatever. And then if you haven't learned it, it's it can be tough. Absolutely. You know, in terms of the school system, it's it's kind of inconsistent and they use different terminology, mm -hmm. but they're, they call it things like social learning. So that's mm -hmm. that's a big thing. Social and they also call it social and emotional learning. So SEL is another acronym. They call it character education. The, some some schools call it personality education. So so they they are addressing that 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 very basic function of our brains, which processes emotions as well, uh, and emotional information as well as all other information at the same time. And really what we're leading towards is we're leading towards an understanding of intelligence itself as being emotional. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it is the first filter that all perceptions go through as to whether something is a threat or not a threat to us. And it goes from there. Then it goes through all of the other filters of do, do I like this? Is this good for me? Is it relevant for what I'm interested in? All of which is emotional. So we don't think without emotions being present and part of those and shaping and influencing those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> How did you first become involved with uh, emotional intelligence? Yeah, I was teaching leadership courses for an organization. And I thought it was interesting that we assumed that everybody coming into the leadership course had the same personal and interpersonal skills. So we were giving these kind of higher order skills, if you will, things like how to run a meeting, how to give feedback, how to manage conflict, how to negotiate and how to mediate difficulties or, or challenges rather. I knew that some of those managers in those courses were going to go take the skills that we were delivering and go away and use them wonderfully well and, you know, go on to be better leaders in their organizations. And I knew other managers just didn't seem to get it and they weren't going to be effective when they went back to their workplaces. They were going to stumble and they were going to use those skills awkwardly and they didn't totally understand why we were using those skills the way we were using them or suggesting suggesting that, that they use them. And so uh, I didn't know what that really was, and I didn't really give it much thought until I heard about this concept of emotional intelligence. And then it started to all make sense to me that there seems to be a foundational set of skills upon which all other skills are built. And if you don't have a solid foundation, then it's going to come across as awkward. You may look uncomfortable. You may not know what to say in the right moment, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the rest is history? <laughs> well, <laughs> what I learned was you can become a self-proclaimed expert in anything you want. You just need to read more books than most people and then put mm -hmm. up a website and say that's what you are. And so I did that with emotional intelligence and, and I did it early on enough so that I attracted the attention of organizations that were looking to incorporate emotional intelligence programming because they wanted to develop the emotional intelligence skills of their managers and nobody seemed to be doing it. And so it was it was make it up as you go along. So mm -hmm. I was designing programs and courses and solutions, which included coaching, mm -hmm. not really knowing much about any of those things. So well, I, I knew about training because I, I did a graduate degree in adult education. So I knew a little bit about how to educate mm -hmm. people and how to how to engage them in learning. So that I knew. But in terms of leadership development and team effectiveness, training and uh, and coaching and all these things. I had to learn all those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's been going strongly for quite a while now. Yes. Thanks to my wonderful partner, who, as I was trying to think of a name for the company and thinking about all these kind of weird Latin names and putting them together in unique and different ways, uh, she said, why don't you just call it what it is? It's an emotional intelligence training company. And I said, oh, that has a ring to it. <laughs> so we called it that. And little did I know that what was going to happen was that people were going to learn about emotional intelligence at a conference or in a course of some kind. Uh, and then they were going to go back to their office type in emotional intelligence into Google. And uh, fortunately for us, our name comes up on the number one page. And we haven't done any search engine optimization. That's just purely organic. 
that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Outstanding. So pure, that's a pure, success story. pure fluke and uh, <laughs> uh, and genius all at the same time. Yes. Own it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about using emotional intelligence and to become a better leader. And going back to your first experiences there of those type of leaders who would take what you taught them um, back to their teams and really effectively implement that. So you kind of you learn something, but then it really only comes you know, to life when you put it into practice. So can you give us an example of what good EI uh, or EQ looks like in like everyday life? Sure, absolutely. So while well, you talked about these uh, these managers who were, you know, sort of going back and, and kind of being a bit awkward about it, we decided to be more deliberate and intentional and go right to the foundation. So we use this model that I spoke about earlier, this model of emotional intelligence skills. And that model has five main categories of skills, starting with self-perception. So so we actually point people in the direction of these areas and work on those first. And then through the process of gaining more awareness of how these various emotional intelligence skills affect their their outcomes and the results that they're that, that they're looking at uh, then we can help them to decide which areas they want to focus on and how they might develop further and we do that both in coaching one-to-one because of course coaching is the very best way to mm-hmm. develop emotional intelligence and the most efficient and effective way of, of making change in one's life etc we, we use coaching We also use assessment to help people to gain that awareness. And then we also use group sessions of anywhere from a keynote at a large group meeting to a half day session where we can sort of introduce some concepts, a full day session where we can actually practice some things to a a three day or five day session where we can really get down into some pretty intense behavioral change Mm -hmm. uh, with a group. And then we go from there. So it's more uh, about that setting that intention first, but the but the result in terms of of what it looks like in the workplace, it looks like people who develop their assertiveness skills, for example, speaking up at meetings more and making their opinion known more. And it's actually a better use of human resources to have people speaking their mind and saying what they think and what they feel. Uh, but we have to we have to take a step back and look at whether they can do that in general in the first place, and then help them to develop ways of or even seeing the benefits first of of practicing the skill and then we see the actual results in the workplace more people having more discussion being less afraid of conflict and developing a level of trust with each other Mm -hmm. that if you think this isn't going to work that you're going to say it and I'm going to do the same and Mm -hmm. then we're going to have a much better product a much better result totally yeah but it it all starts with the the manager setting the tone and having that positive environment there right so people can speak up and you're actively encouraging your team members to speak up there's nothing worse than having a room full of yes sayers and absolutely And, and you've just pointed out probably the most frequent question that we get in terms of the presentations that we do. And some of the people who listen to this recording uh, might also have the same question, and, and that is, how can I get my boss to see that this is important? We get that all the mm-hmm. time. And if your your boss or your manager doesn't make it safe and is not doesn't encourage this kind of open sharing of information, then what you have to do is you have to, to help the manager 
manager see the benefits of that, mm -hmm. that you know, you're inviting more people to contribute and more people to join in. You're getting a div diverse array of opinions and perceptions around the table. It's going to be much better uh, ultimately for the work product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. It can be a tough journey and a long one managing up, but the alternative looks bleak if you don't do it, right? So that is one example of like being more outspoken and um, kind of even representing yourself a bit more or coming from a perspective of that self-awareness. Okay, this is something that I want to do, right? Do you have another example of Absolutely. what good AI looks like? Yeah, lots and lots of examples. Okay, go for it. Uh, so so we've talked a little bit about, uh, about self-perception mm -hmm. uh, and how you perceive yourself determines what you do mm -hmm. uh, and in what you express. So that's the second category is emotional expression. The next category after that is the interpersonal realm of the competencies. So that's all about having effective relationships with others. Uh, and we have a lot of managers who feel, who have some traditional notions of the workplace where, you know, where they don't come to work to make friends and they, you know, they, they don't go out to social events with their employees feeling like, well, there's a power difference and it's going to affect my authority and all kinds of ridiculous old-fashioned notions of what it means to be a manager in a workplace. Uh, and so we have to sort of challenge those notions and we have to encourage people to develop relationships of trust because that's really the best measure of a workplace relationship is do you trust that employee or do you trust that manager to have your back when things don't go so well, mm -hmm. to come to your aid, come to your support, to make sure that you have what you need to do your job most effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that doesn't happen if we don't know each other, interestingly. Exactly. So we don't know what we, what we don't trust and mm -hmm. we don't trust people that we don't don't know and we can't know you until you actually express your emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much into those interpersonal relationships at work and and you spend so much time at work every single week, right? Um, so it's important to figure out oh, what what motivates the other person? What how do I even maybe even adjust my communication with them to make sure that they get it or you, you're taking it with the right type of motivation in there and, and you know as a manager hey I know this person is really interested in this in this area so you come across something and you pass that on and you can help and support that team member and it, it goes both ways and mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot a lot in there um so okay so we had self-awareness the second so part self perception was, oh. self expression mm -hmm. interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. and now we're looking at decision making and this is the area that people think well isn't that just cognitive intelligence isn't that just about iq and in fact it's not and when we start explaining it people get it but really when you first think about it things like problem solving that doesn't appear to be an emotional skill. It appears to be a logical or a rational skill. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have to help people to understand once again that those parts of our brains that process emotions and emotional information and those parts of our brains that process cognition and what's, what is logical and rational, those parts of the brains always work together. And so they never operate separately. And so once again, uh, you know, every every perception goes through this emotional filter. So there are there are ways that you feel about the problem, right? So so that's one thing. That's just one way that emotions are involved in problem solving. You feel a certain way because you have this problem, and however you feel is going to either hinder or support 
your ability to solve that problem mm -hmm. instead of the kind of the ridiculous notion that you sometimes hear of leaving emotion out of it mm. right we're going to use cold hard logic we're going to leave emotion out of this that's actually not physiologically possible and so we need to we need to become more aware of the emotion that's involved the emotion that we're feeling when we're presented with the problem we need to understand how that the, the problem solving behavior is going to affect our mood and the mood of our team that's involved in working on the uh, on the problem. By the way, a mood is a is a transitory emotion. We talk about mood states, and mm -hmm. and that could be from something that happened before, and now you're coming in and you're in a particular mood, in mm -hmm. air quotes. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, and so it's just about understanding that that there are these transitory emotions that maybe are the result of getting cut off in traffic or not finding that parking spot that you wanted, mm -hmm. and then you come in and you're kind of late and and you're you're ticked off about something uh, to understand that there's a particular emotional state which is optimal for different problems and it's not the same emotional huh. state for every problem uh, the one that the example that we often use in training is imagine that you're solving a Rubik's cube that's all mixed up what is the optimal state for that and and people say things like calm well yeah partly right but if if you're just calm why would you solve a rubik's cube <laughs> what would be the driver or the motivation for doing that mm -hmm. so it's about understanding it's understanding motivation as well what is the motivation for solving this problem if if it's because if you don't solve it you're going to get fired now you're nervous about being fired in addition to all the other emotions wrapped mm -hmm. up in that problem so uh, so that's not the best way is to threaten someone one with something in order to get them to do something so you know and this is this is one of the many many ways that parenting and leadership are similar that old idea of the carrot and the stick you know either you do this because you're going to get something good or mm. you do it or you're going to get something bad uh, we know that the getting something bad is far far inferior to the getting something mm. good the positive reinforcements. Mm. Yes, right? and then there's this idea of extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards, and that's part of our emotional intelligence model as well. And that comes up in self-actualization, which is doing something that has meaning and purpose, uh, which is something that you experience fulfillment as a result of, uh, and we only involve ourselves in those activities when we have the appropriate self-regard to feel like we're worthy and deserving of having that. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's so many ways that these things are all interconnected. Again, going back to decision-making, mm -hmm. decision-making consists of problem-solving, consists of reality-testing, because you know some of us are not very realistic. <laughs> <laughs> the visionaries. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. the visionaries who may be more optimistic than they are realistic. Mm -hmm. That happens to be my particular combination, by the way. What, uh, the, the two together? Or? No, I have high optimism, uh. but low reality testing. So <laughs> you know, uh, back to my wonderful uh, marriage partner who, who says, um, you know, maybe we should just slow down a bit and, and think this through before <laughs> we do this thing. Uh, so there's reality testing, and finally there's impulse control. The impulse control video, like we, lo we love to show video clips to make it more entertaining mm -hmm. and, and more fun for people in, in learning. And the, the video that we use for impulse control is the marshmallow test. 
So you, you may have seen the marshmallow test, which is a reenactment of Walter Michel's famous experiment from the early 1980s, mm -hmm. where he set four-year-old children at the Stanford University Daycare Center down in front of a plate, and on the plate was one marshmallow. Mm -hmm. uh, and he told them, if you can wait, I'm just gonna go down the hall for 10 minutes until I come back, you can have two marshmallows, or you can just eat the one now. And the kids who waited for the marshmallow at the age of four, he followed them throughout their lives. His uh, book came out in 2014 of this longitudinal study of these kids over their entire lives into their 30s. And he found that the kids who waited for the marshmallow at the age of four scored higher on every measure that he could think of to give them over their lives. So it's quite incredible wow. that some of these skills are developed at such an early age that they determine our lives. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what that book is called? The Marshmallow Experiment. Oh, the Says it <laughs> very straightforward. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, so there's uh, something else that came to mind around the decision making and um, all these um, different parts that you just said, and your your personal emotions with those. Um, so I'm I was thinking, and maybe you can confirm or or not. Does it play in there how say risk adverse someone is, or what they're seeing with regards, or their how much change they even like or not how much they're embracing change. Does that all f fit in with that particular part of EI too, of the Ab model? Absolutely. There's a couple of EQ competencies that relate directly to what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, and one would be emotional self-awareness. So being aware of how certain things affect you. And the other would be stress tolerance. Mm. So being able to be aware of your emotions around change, uh, your awareness of your emotions around risk, and then managing that effectively is a, a part of using your emotional self-awareness and your, your stress tolerance skills well. And then other things factor into that as well. For example, optimism. That's the way that you choose to look at the world. And so if you look at something, at change in a positive way and focus on all the benefits that you're going to realize as a result of the change, then you're going to be less stressed. Yeah, totally. So we've been through four stages of yes, the model. Have. What's the last one? We have the last one because stress is so critical and important in our lives. You know, we think we don't we, we think we want no stress. But in fact, you know, when you look at the Yerkes-Dodson law of 1908, the, that, that stress performance curve, mm -hmm. what Yerkes and Dodson pointed out was that in the absence of any kind of stress, we do nothing. And we think we want that. But you know, uh, how long do you think you'd last, Nadine, if someone told you that your only job was to lie on this beach and do absolutely nothing? How long do you think you could lie on that beach before you'd start to get twitchy and need to do something? I tried that actually two weeks, weekends ago. I was like, just don't do anything. It was so difficult. It was really, really difficult. Yerkes and Dodson <laughs> call, call this underload. And in underload, which we think we all want, but we don't want for too long, that's where we, we really don't do anything and it leads to boredom. And so we actually want to be and desire to be involved in something, again, that has meaning and purpose for mm -hmm. us, going back to self-actualization. So in order to do that, we have to venture, we have to get up off the beach or off the couch <laughs> or out of our beds and actually put ourselves in situations of opportunity in order to experience 
self-actualization, and that comes with a certain amount of stress. We say that the ship was never built to remain in the harbor. It was built to go out into the open sea, but the open sea can be rough and choppy, and we're going to get you know battered around, and and so we have to build our skills to withstand that. And so in the Yerkes-Dodson curve, the after underload is optimal load, and we call that U stress, or they they call it U stress, EU stress, and um, and and that's where we're happiest when we're actually engaged and involved in doing things that we want to be doing, but that it comes with a certain amount of stress. But if we keep taking on more and more things, then we have to become more aware of when we approach that exhaustion part, mm-hmm. which is at the top of the curve. And then, of course, if you follow that bell curve over and down, then you get into burnout and depression and and anger and, and lots of other things that are very unpleasant and mm-hmm. we, we really don't want to go there. But if we don't realize or become more aware of how we respond to the stress in our own lives, then we could easily slide down the other side. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to the self-management part as well. and get back on the, yes. you know, the, the there, stress management. <laughs> there, there are three competencies in each of these categories. Mm-hmm. And so the three competencies in the stress management category are flexibility. So mm-hmm. how much can you flex and bend and adapt, particularly to, to situations that are outside your control? So, so that, you know, I often think of that serenity prayer, uh, which is so powerful. You know, it was written by this guy. Uh, he, was a, he was actually an, a U.S. preacher, uh, and his name was Reinhold Niebuhr. And this was in 1951. He wrote this, this simple little prayer, with, which has so much wisdom, which is, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And, and that's, that's that flexibility notion. Um, it's like, okay, so this is out of your control. What are you going to do? Are you going to have a tantrum? Are you going to yell? Are you going to swear? Are you going to hit something? All of these things are things people do, but they actually don't change the situation which is outside your control. Then then there's this notion of the, the courage to change the things I can. So what it is within my control? If the all of a sudden the universe puts up a brick wall in your pathway, what are your choices? You can throw yourself against a brick wall. Uh, not, not a good idea. <laughs> or you can look for a door or a you know, another way. And mm-hmm. so that's the courage to change the things I can. And then finally, there's the the idea of the wisdom to know the difference. And for that, we draw a little arc back to the interpersonal realm. Who are you connecting with? Where? How are you getting your wisdom? Who is your source of wisdom? What? Who is your community? Who's in your corner? Who has your back and who's there to support mm-hmm. you? So the there's stress tolerance, that is how much can you take also mm-hmm. in stress management. And the final one is optimism. How are you choosing to look at the world? And a lot of people don't see it as a choice. They just either see things as you know, generally negative and pessimistic, uh, or it takes someone to come along and say, hey, you can actually change how you view things. Mm-hmm. And it was Martin Seligman, who is the who's considered to be the father of of this this notion of positive psychology and started the whole positive psychology movement, who wrote the book Learned Optimism because of his um, 
his daughter, when she was a toddler, she came up to him and said, Daddy, why are you always so grumpy? And he said, oops. that's, he said, yeah, oops. <laughs> he said, that's a good question. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to explore that and I'm going to write a book about it. And, and he did. That's how that happened. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. I've heard about all these things and I've used some of it in as part of um, coaching, obviously, mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. saying, hey, this is just one way of looking at it. You know, there are other maybe more positive ways to approach a situation. And I had no idea it had to do with the positive uh, psychology that you just referred to as well. So there goes my uh, to be read pile. <laughs> it's like it's, it's increased already quite a bit during our conversation now, David. Thank you you're wa- for all you're these welcome. recommendations. You're welcome. <laughs> he, he also, he wrote another book called Authentic Happiness, where, mm-hmm. where he talked about the fact that, that you can be happy simply by having stuff, that material things do make us happy, but it's very, it's a very superficial happiness and that you can't be authentically happy until you're involved in the happiness of others, Ooh. which which is social responsibility mm-hmm. in our EQ model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. I'll need to uh, check it out. And I put um, all the recommendations and everyone you just mentioned in the show notes so people can refer back to it. That's a huge learning session. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> I kind of feel that we've touched on this already. The next one um, was going to be like, why is why does AI matter and how can you learn it? So why does it matter? It matters for having a happy and healthy life. Uh, there, There is an indicator built into the assessment tool that we use called the Emotional Quotient Inventory, which is called the Well-Being Indicator. Uh, and it is probably one of the most important indicators in the results uh, of one's EQ. And it kind of answers the Dr. Phil question. Do you know what the Dr. Phil question is, Nadine? I do know Dr. Phil, but not the Dr. Phil question. The Dr. Phil question is, how's that working for you? Oh, that's true. Yes, I've heard this before. It's an excellent <laughs> question, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he gets people on his show and they tell their their sometimes tragic mm-hmm. stories, which which is, you know, very sad. But then he asks, he, then he says to them, how's that working for you? Knowing full well that if it's working for them, they're not going to do anything to change. Uh, so the well-being indicator answers the Dr. Phil question. And uh, sometimes it sounds a bit twisted, but I'm not all that disappointed when I see that someone's well-being indicator is low because I'm thinking, okay, so now they've got this wonderful opportunity to actually change the way they go about things. And they have the opportunity to be more happy, to have a higher level of personal and professional mm-hmm. well-being, which I think is what we all want uh, ultimately. You know, and as you know from coach training, we all want fulfillment, right? Yes. That's that's that elusive thing. And I and I and I, I, I think we all have what I call the accidental career. You know, we kind of start out thinking the the path that's presented to us is the one for us and and we soon learn that certain things about that path lead to fulfillment for us and certain things just don't. Uh, And I think that uh, every time we come to a fork in the road, then we take the one that we think is going to lead to greater levels of fulfillment. We repeat that process many, many times until Mm -hmm. we're in a place where that we could never have imagined ourselves being when we were young. So Mm -hmm. that's why I call it the accidental career. But but it's a process that takes place throughout our lives of gaining greater and greater levels of fulfillment. 
And that's what's so great about coaching, Nadine, is that you can accelerate that process of awareness simply by having coaching conversations Mm -hmm. with someone who's trained to do so. Yeah, I was about to say that. (laughs) Actually, yeah, you want to get there faster, Mm -hmm. right? And not... And if you can, why wouldn't you? Exactly. And that's where, you know, you can... again comes back to awareness but you see that there is a something else entirely is possible right you have that vision of hey i don't need to be where i am right now mm-hmm. there is a faster more sustainable way uh, how to get there and then be that fulfilled mm-hmm. and um, everything around life that obviously also includes your your career and it has a knock on effect not just like on everyone around you as yes. well Right. Especially if you're showing up with a lot more optimism, if you're mm-hmm. building relationships mu- much better and, and the, oh, my gosh, I could go off. On this. We, we have some interesting scientific findings, uh, and that is that there are four EQ competencies that are most highly correlated with well-being mm-hmm. uh, and they are self-regard. So how you view yourself. And just think about that for a moment. You you probably know people who are kind of hard on themselves, kind of it's, you know, and particularly for the people that that we work with who are kind of at the top of their game in many cases, it's never enough. But that never enough perspective uh, leads to lowering your your well-being. So, you know, for us, it's about acknowledging achievement. It's about celebrating achievement. It's about saying, hey, there's a lot of things that I do really well. And, you know, capturing what that's about mm. for people. Yeah. Words matter, mm-hmm. especially the ones you're telling yourself. Absolutely. Right. That, that self-talk that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that some people, for some people, it's uh, never good enough. Uh, and, and for other people, it's, you know, I'm not exactly where I want to be right now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to get better. And that, that's our second competency. That's optimism. Mm-hmm. When we're able to focus on what's good, what is the opportunity, in whatever is happening for us, then our well-being, our level of well-being is going to be better mm. instead of just focusing on what's going wrong, mm. which a lot of people do. Yeah. And there's this, I recognize a growth mindset in that as well. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're not there yet, but yes. you, you'll get there you might, eventually. You might want to add Carol Dweck's book to that book list. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I've seen her TED Talk a few times um, around that. And uh, yeah. I'll pop it in. What's the book called? Is Mindset. Mindset. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Carol Dweck talks about this idea of a growth mindset, which is optimism in action. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We have self-regard. Yes. How you see yourself. Mm-hmm. Optimism. How you see the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have interpersonal relationships. This is the EQ competency, which is all about the quality of your relationships. And we sometimes use the iceberg diagram and everybody's familiar with the iceberg diagram, right? You've got this little bit sticking up above the surface. We have this large this large 80% or whatever it is below the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we talk about whatever is above the surface. That's what's tangible. That's what you can, uh, you can experience with your, with your five senses. Uh, and then there's this under the surface world, which each one of us carries around with us. And that's, that's our whole emotional world. That's all of the experiences that have ever happened to us. That's what's happening to us right now that we're feeling. And we talk about relationships in terms of the depth at which we choose to share because that's a choice. And some people, as you know, play their play their cards very close to their chest. They keep other people right at the surface. They don't want to let people in. Uh, and other people who choose to share at a deeper level, 
uh, allow for greater connection. So that's mm. what that's all about. Connection only happens beneath the surface. Mm. It doesn't happen above the surface. Connection doesn't happen when we talk about the 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 month end quotas and the the results and the and and all of the things that that businesses typically track uh, that's not where connection happens it's no. how you how do you feel about the fact that we made our numbers this month it's how do you, it's how do you feel about the fact that it looks like we're on track mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things that's mm-hmm. again that's where connection happens yeah. and it, it it needs to be um constant as well especially as a, as a leader if you have those conversations with your with your team and your peers bring that up and really have the the courage um, which was one of the other things that you mentioned earlier to to go down to that deeper level yes right absolutely. and it does not necessarily just have to be in a formal setting it could also be while you're grabbing a coffee together or you're hanging out socially what you mentioned mm-hmm. at the beginning of the, our mm-hmm. chat so I see it so that was three that number was, that three, was three in the well-being and, and there's, there's one other thing that I love to point to with yeah. respect to interpersonal relationships and that's the Harvard oh. longevity study mm-hmm. um in that Harvard longevity study, they found that the single biggest identifiable factor in longevity was relationships. They were all men. They had graduated from Harvard in, you know, uh, in a very early decade. They followed them throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of their lives, they, they talked with the people and just looked at their lives. And it was the ones who had buddies who, you know, went and hung out with their friends. And, and it was the ones who picked up the phone when they were having problems and, and called somebody. Those were the, the people who lived the longest and so great you know great instruction for all of us to make mm-hmm. sure that our relationships are of good quality that that they're people that you trust people that give you energy when you hang out with them and the toxic people stay away from them the yeah. ones that you don't feel good about yourself when you're around them stay away from those people mm. uh, unless you can't because if they're in your family, sometimes that's difficult and challenging, but then you can develop your skills. It's not like there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. It's about learning what to do. It's yeah. about learning how to cope with those situations and those people that you may have to interact with, even though they're difficult to like <laughs> or the, the relationship's not great. Yeah. Then it comes all back down to um, like stress management and setting boundaries and dealing yes. with that as well, right? Yeah. Okay. The, the fourth area yes. related to well-being mm-hmm. is self-actualization. And that, again, is, uh, you know, are you involved in what has purpose and meaning for you? And we sometimes see this with people who retire. You know, they have this great career. They know exactly who they are and, and what they do. They may, may Maybe they over-identify a bit with their role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, they don't have that anymore. And it's really easy if they don't find something else to get involved in and get engaged with to become depressed. And it's like, wow, you know, I I don't get to hang out with my friends at the office anymore as much. And I don't get to do what I love to do. But it's the people who find volunteer activities, who uh, get involved in uh, in their community, uh, et cetera, that, that find meaning and purpose in other things that, uh, again, have a higher level and a greater level of well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to the fulfillment um, yes, as well that you mentioned absolutely. earlier. And coaching get, get you there faster. Absolutely. <laughs> and that, that's that's why, that's why mm-hmm. you know, the transitions are so important mm-hmm. um, uh, to pay attention to. It's highly recommended if you're going through some sort of transition to get yourself a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, why not get some support? And again, to accelerate that process of awareness become more fully aware again that's that's emotional intelligence is mm. becoming
becoming more aware of the emotions you're experiencing as a result of a change mm -hmm. that you're going through. Mm -hmm. Emotions are data, and this is something that people don't necessarily realize as well. Mm -hmm. Emotions are information. And so what are your emotions telling you? A lot of people ignore their own emotions at their own peril. And we, we get this frequently too. I should have come to this workshop 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that would have been good. Uh, and yeah, you could have saved yourself a lot of grief. And, and it's just paying attention to your emotions, mm. learning the bad patterns that we fall into of interacting with others, of the way that we regard ourselves, et cetera. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to those voices in your head mm -hmm. and then actually listen. Don't mm -hmm. just shut them down and close yes. the door. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, those are probably the ones that you should look at um, the most or what do you call it? The the monster in the in the closet, yes. right? It's like, let it out. It's probably not as big as you imagine it to be. And, it's you know, funny. you need it's, to deal it, with it. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, Barry Posner and Jim Cousins, who created the Leadership Challenge and wrote that wonderful book, which is used in leadership programs around the world, the Leadership Challenge, mm -hmm. they talked about when they first started this work back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, they talked about about uh, the fact that that managers were quite concerned about looking inside, about getting to know that under the surface world. Uh, and the reason was that they were afraid that if they looked inside themselves, there'd be nothing there. It's a little bit like the monster in the closet mm -hmm. analogy. And it sounds kind of ridiculous now, but back then it was a case of, well, isn't our business just about this technology that we deliver on? Isn't it just about the numbers? Yes, and you need people to get those numbers. You need people to get that product to market, etc. It's again that monster in the closet, that fear that that it, that we're going to actually look at ourselves and look at our lives, and uh, and we're not going to know what to do with it, or that we're going to somehow open some sort of Pandora's box. We'll, we're never going to be able to stop crying. Mm -hmm. and we hear that sometimes too. People say, if I exp if I actually express my real emotions, I'll start crying, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to stop. And we have, so we have this fear around our own emotions and, mm. and the things that we've been through and the, you know, they're just emotions. And that's, that's why we need to be more intelligent about mm -hmm. them. Yeah, just they're just that. Mm -hmm. I, to my knowledge, nobody ever died from emotions. <laughs> You know, people talk about dying of fright. Well, I don't think it's actually happened. Or people talk about dying of a broken heart. I don't think that's actually a thing. I think mm -hmm. it's, you know, the, the stuff of movies and, and love songs. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's that, that fear that can build up over years and years can be quite intimidating. Mm -hmm. But just go straight through them. Yes, uh, we, we have a and colleague, then, one of our coaches, his name is Kim Cairns, a wonderful coach. He says, we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And yeah. it's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, how can how can I learn EQ? Yeah, good, good question. How to how to learn more about EQ? There's lots of great websites, lots of great books out there. The book that we use in in all of our programs and courses is called The EQ Edge: Emotional Intelligence and Your Success. It's written by the president of the company that publishes the Emotional Quotient Inventory, which mm -hmm. we also use as the as kind of the diagnostic, the starting place. Mm -hmm. And it comes in two versions, a, a self-report version and a multi-rater version. The multi-rater version, also called a 360 by some mm -hmm. people. Uh, and that's where you 
put your perceptions of, of your EQ down, but then you ask people who are around you, who see you frequently in action, they put their perceptions down on the same 133 statements. They rate them on a Likert scale, and then we compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. how, how are your perceptions of your own EQ compared with the perceptions of others? Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are, are quite different, uh, and then we have to understand how are they so different? Why do you think that you're so good at managing your stress, but, but everybody else thinks you're doing a terrible job of managing your stress? <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, and so those are the kinds of conversations that we're able mm -hmm. to have, again, within the context of coaching yeah. every time. This is also a way to find, probably the best way to find out how good you are at Absolutely. Uh, emotional intelligence, yes. right? Yes. Okay. And then would it make sense to kind of Obviously, you, you start off with some base points, you'll work on it, and you'll have another test later on, about a few months or weeks later, or how does that? You, you could, and some people think that the objective is to get higher scores on everything, mm -hmm. when in fact, what we see in some cases is we see a right-sizing. So the person who's overly assertive, they may get a high score on the EQI, but if that is combined with a, with a low empathy score, so you're being mm -hmm. really assertive but not actually watching and paying attention to how you're impacting on people, that might not be a good thing for you. So you might choose to dial down the assertiveness and bring up the empathy mm -hmm. for a better balance. So you may not see all scores going up, mm -hmm. although I have seen empirical studies showing that some programs and some programs of coaching as well have increased scores you know, from a statistical mm -hmm. analysis yeah. point of view. Mm. But again, it's very individual it per person. It is very individual. And everyone can obviously choose what they want to work on Absolutely. and what they want to improve and, on. And as I say, the goal is not to get a higher score on the EQI. The, the goal is to be a better leader or to be a more effective parent or to be better at whatever it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Your EQ can help you do that. Okay, great. Can I use emotional intelligence to be a, a better leader or improve the, the workspaces that I'm in. Absolutely. And so we help leaders a number of ways. Uh, one, one way is that organizations have some sort of a, a group initiative. So mm -hmm. it's part of a leadership development program that they already have, and they want to sort of drop this in. And they ask us, you know, where should this go in our leadership program? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I always suggest that it goes at the beginning because it's so foundational to everything else that people do. And that goes really, really well. And that what that looks like is, you know, we get a list of names and email addresses. We we send everybody the invitation electronically to take the EQI. They go online, take about 20 minutes to go through the 133 statements and respond to them. Then we create their reports, arrange a meeting, which is usually on the telephone for that first review of their results. Then they come to the group session where we talk about the relevance to their organization and mm -hmm. what these things actually look like in terms of the business that they're involved in and the roles that they have, whether it's sales or whether it's operational in, to some respect or whether it's client facing, uh, whether they're in a consultative role mm -hmm. uh, and talk about EQ in relation to all those rules. Mm -hmm. And then we follow it, always follow it up with coaching. And, you know, we, we used to uh, sell the EQI with one review of results, but way too many people would say, thank you. That's great. I, I was a good experience. And then they would do mm -hmm. nothing with it. And it's, in a inbox yeah, somewhere. It's kind report. of a waste of time. It's mm -hmm. like having one coaching session. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can start, but it's not the, mm -hmm. uh, the finish. Uh, and so we have a minimum number of sessions that we will do, which is three. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we try to encourage 
longer. And we say to people, the longer the, the duration of coaching, the more change that's possible. Mm-hmm. Transformation doesn't happen in three sessions, but we can start people down the road at least yeah. with three sessions. And then we see where we go from there. Mm-hmm. The other interesting way that we get involved with organizations is they contact us to work with a person who has really high technical skills but is not really great with people. And they say, you know, we can't afford to lose this person, but we can't afford to keep them the way they are. Uh, Would you work with them? And my question always is, are they open to coaching? Because if they're not open to coaching, as you know, that's not going to go anywhere. And so uh, when the answer is yes, they're open to coaching, they've agreed to it, then it's of course. Mm. We'll we'll work with anyone who's interested in uh, making a change, in Mm. looking at themselves and making a change. Just a scenario came into my mind. Uh, One of the very first corporate trainings that I attended, um, probably more than 10 years ago, I arrived early and the trainer was already there. And and uh, she asked everyone when they came in for, you know, just a quick intro, like, hey, what's your name? I'm so-and-so. And then she asked, were you, did you volunteer to be part of this training or were you sent here? And uh, I, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Um, so it was pretty mixed, but she knew right away, you know, how to approach uh, whom and, and how this was going to go. And I chatted with her afterwards and that stayed in my, like, I don't actually remember that much about the training, but that one was pretty um, pretty good to see where what everyone's motivation is and how you know they're open to taking everything on and you know making it actually work like we said earlier the training itself is only like so much you need to put it out in the world and 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 test it out and, and live it and maybe even teach it to others or you know apply it in some way that little anecdote came to mind but um, totally I see where this is uh, where this is going mm-hmm. yeah wow thank you for sharing You're um, so how can I uh, learn to be better at emotional intelligence is, yeah you, you know, mentioned a few uh, books there yeah, earlier yeah already. I, I always I always start start at the uh, at the top you know the very best way is coaching so mm-hmm. get a coach and then if that's not something that is possible then uh, then there's lots of great books as I mentioned there's the EQ edge there's uh, emotional agility by Susan David fantastic new book there's uh, presence <laughs> by Amy Cuddy which where she doesn't exactly use the language of emotional intelligence but she uses other languages which is very similar which is very mm-hmm. related with mm. emotional intelligence. Thank you. That second book I actually have in my bookshelf. Excellent. Yes, I loved it. Yeah. Wow, I score. <laughs> I had one <laughs> of them. And there's many, many others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, thank you. What are some of the tangible steps that anyone can, sure. can do to improve? Uh, well, we have what we call a, a self-regard challenge on our website. And uh, and we'll give you the link to that as mm-hmm. well. So so it's free. And if you sign up for the self-regard challenge, you get prompts and you write a little bit about your own self-perception. And, uh, and in the process, you gain a greater awareness of your own self-regard. We call it the self-regard challenge. It's like five days and you, you get a prompt every day for five days. Uh, and it's about uh, gaining more awareness, learning more about these various skills and competencies and how they play a role in your effectiveness or how they may act as a barrier to you achieving what you want to achieve in your life. Wow. I'll, well, I'll sign up. 
I've, I've signed up already for your newsletter, but that Excellent. one I didn't see. Excellent. So <laughs> I'll figure that one out. We, we have a new one called the Values Challenge coming online very soon. And, and that one, we decided to make that a five-week challenge. So, mm -hmm. so instead of every day, every week, you're going to get something to work on f over the course of the week. Okay. So, and then at the end, you'll come out with your, your core values and understanding how those play a role in your decision-making or not, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, because some people, of course, don't necessarily use their values as touchstones in their decision making and wonder why their life is not going the way they want it to go. I started writing a blog about values and how, it, and, and how it started, how it served me in the last few years. So that plays in beautifully. But so for that challenge, you can already have your values and you kind of redefine them or, or kind of deepen that on your understanding. Yes. Or you can also start off with no knowledge whatsoever Correct. and yep. uh, figure them out later on. Yep. Wow. That's interesting. The announcement will be in the newsletter, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming, coming out up. in the next week or so. It might even be ready now. I just have to check, but okay, um, yeah. it'll be ready to go soon. And uh, and if it's not uh, ready in time for the the post that you're going to make about this, mm -hmm. uh, then it, it'll be in our newsletter. Yeah. Okay. Great. Mm -hmm. Wow. We've been through all the questions we have prepared for this, but um, everyone who's coming on, we're going to um, put them through the questions in a bag challenge, um, which is basically a bag with questions in them on pieces of paper. It's a cute and little bag. <laughs> isn't it's it? It's a very cute little bag. Um, so would, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. So um, how this works is you pick three pieces of paper. There okay. is a question on uh, each one of them. Okay. Some are a bit wacky, some fun, and some are like deeper coaching questions. And you can uh, read them out. And, awesome. Uh, answer and obviously you can't see beforehand what's what's on them so okay i got two, two. i just need one okay, more yeah take this one okay yeah off okay. you go what would you like to be remembered for yeah i'd like to be remembered for for making a difference that people appreciated what i did and that it that it touched them in some way that it um that it caused them to make a shift or a change uh, and that's what i'd like to be remembered okay. for perfect Netflix, the movies or a book? There's there's a preference and then there's reality. Re real <laughs> reality is Netflix. <laughs> I, I, I love movies and my partner doesn't really uh, as much. So I get all my movie watching done on the plane, oh. uh, which is not necessarily the greatest, but it did help a lot in my recent flight to the UK for two days to work one-to-one -one with this individual or a book. And all my books are interestingly business books about, you know, emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and related things like leadership and coaching. And th those are all the, the not very exciting things that I, except for the, when it comes to the holidays, that's when I manage to get out a novel and, okay. and really enjoy that. Yeah. Good. Uh, what are you currently learning? Oh, excellent question. You know, I um, uh, finished my coaching certification, which was an absolutely awesome experience uh, with the Coactive Institute. I just really appreciated all the learning there. And I was so excited by that learning that I decided to keep the learning going. And I've signed up for leadership Ooh. for the Coactive Leadership Program. So I'll be doing that in May with Karen Kimsey House. And I'm so excited to meet her. And she's the founder of uh, the Coactive Institute. And I'm just really, really excited about, uh, about my learning right now. Uh, there was there was a long time when I when I thought I knew everything, mm -hmm. and of course 
thinking that you know everything is the biggest barrier to learning that there is. So mm -hmm. when I started to acknowledge that I maybe didn't know everything, that was the opening of a door for me <laughs> that I've been so excited to, to go through. Yeah, wow. I've heard so many amazing things about that leadership program and everyone who comes out of it are just beaming and they, yeah. So I'm really um, pleased that you signed up for that too. It's somewhere down the line for me as well. Probably not next May, but it's on my to-do list of things. Excellent, excellent. Um, I have a big smile on my face and there was a lot of nodding going on while you were talking. I was like, oh my God, can, <laughs> how, how long can we have this podcast interview for? <laughs> Maybe there's a series there. Maybe there's a series. Um, well, well, yeah, I was actually thinking, I don't know how long this has been going now, um, probably over nearly an hour or so. So thank you so much for coming in, David. So much appreciated. I can't wait to dive into all the resources that you've mentioned and uh, increase my to be to be read pile. And thank, uh, thank you else. for the opportunity, Nadine. And as you may recall, I told you about my my experience teaching skiing in Germany as a young person <laughs> and, yes. and and learning German, which most most of which I've forgotten. But I I, I have remembered one thing, and that is Herzlichen Dank. Oh, you're welcome, machine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I do hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Again, please refer to the show notes to get a list of all the resources David mentioned and to find out how to get in contact with him. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay curious.